over the summer, we are doing a few interviews of people in our church so that we can get to know each other. And we just acknowledge that this is a growing church. And so if you're new or kind of nearly new here, introduce yourself. And if you're not new, you've got a responsibility to go and introduce yourself. Um, but what we're going to do this morning is have somebody come up. So where's Johnny? There he is. And take that microphone, Johnny. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. So hello, hello. Like a wee microphone, don't you? <laughs> Johnny's used to, to being up front in different places, as you as you will hear. But uh, tell us a little about yourself, Johnny. Uh, I'm Johnny. I am married to Annette. I've been part of this church since Upper Van Vineyard. Um, brought him to Christian home. Is that, the right yeah, answer? Yeah, Is that the right answer you want? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to hear what you have to say. Well, tell us what it was like grow, not only growing up in a Christian home, but growing up uh, as kind of a pastor's kid and, and stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. It was, when I look back on it now, I'm 47. And um, when I look back on that now, I am humbled and so, so grateful for the family I was born into. And I just want to say that, you know, and um, growing up in that, I see, you know, you guys and all, you have young families and all, and uh, you're probably always thinking, how's my kids going to turn out and all? And, and there was five years of my life where I did walk away from God, and I was brought up in, like, uh, you know, where I thought, I'm always a Christian, you know, I'm, you know, and I had an encounter with God just after the millennium, and that was when my Christian walk started for me to find my own identity, because in that I, I felt I had to find my own identity in God because when you were sort of born into that life. Yeah, so your dad's an Elam pastor. And well, my so dad's been... a retired Elam pastor, Pastor Bill Dunn. Um, we've, I think well, who my, my family was makes me who I am today because it, I, I find it easy to embrace things like new places and, and spaces because where I'm living now is the 14th house I've been in. Um, my primary school days were in Bambridge, in Bambridge Island, and then my dad came out and did mission work in 86. We moved into Moorview Estate in Lurgan, uh, lived there in 92, and then he went to Monaghan Island, and then to Dundonald. Yes. And you know Dundonald, do you? Oh, yes. Well, you know, all the best we, people We, we moved there. to Dundonald Island, and then that's when my working career started, and I started in a wee place called Welworth then. I'm still in retail. I work for Tesco now in Dungannon as a delivery driver up in the Spurn Mountains, which is, see this week, it's been the best week of my life in work. <laughs> it's been brilliant. Lots of ice creams. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and an air-conditioned van, I'm sure. No, no. No? no the back of it's air-conditioned no. where all the food is. That's where you need to be. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, Johnny. And, and it's great, you know, to hear about that, that no matter where you were, God was with you and, and your faith kind of stayed strong. And there is something about going from your faith being the, the faith of your parents to being your own too. And that's something as parents that we all pray for, that our kids would really um, experience that and find Jesus for themselves. So tell us about the last kind of 10 years or so of your life in particular. It will be anniversary there recently, didn't you? Yes, well, with five years married in the 5th of July. And uh, the, that, that, that journey started almost 10 years ago, uh, Funny enough, you were asking that question because this sort of time, 10 years ago, my life totally changed upside down where I was in a previous marriage and 
it had ended. It, it was um, where I had three failed attempts in IVF and different things. And, and I found myself 10 years ago back at home. Didn't know what to do with my life. And, and I was saying to God, what's going on? And, and I was for going off to Bible college. I was for doing, you know, I, because I'd grown up in that life. That's sort of all I knew. And then I thought, well, no, I went a different path. God get at me. There was, there, was one, um, there was one night in my life, I was in Bangor Elam for 14 years, and it was a youth night, and there was a youth pastor speaking on the audible voice of God. And I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, that night, I couldn't sleep that night, and I don't, I, I didn't hear God's audible voice, but I had an impact with God where God says, I got to take you places before you come home. And, you know, God is taking me places. When I look over the last 10 years, I didn't think that I'd be living in Tandragee, working in Dungannon, delivering groceries into Gorchin and Plumbridge and Draperstown, <laughs> um, and, and serving in Portadown Emmanuel. Amazing, amazing. It's so, it's so good um, to hear what God has been doing um, in you and to hear that, that sense of, of, you know, the, amongst the ups and downs, that God is faithful, but also your faithfulness um, to him is really um, encouraging. So why don't you stretch out your hand and pray for Johnny. God, we, we thank you for Johnny. We thank you for someone who has been on so many journeys of following you. And despite the ups and downs, Lord, you have remained faithful to him. And he has continually put himself in a place of being faithful and seeking to follow you. And uh, so we thank you for Johnny and for Annette and for their wider family. And we, we bless them in the name of Jesus. We bless them, Lord. We bless them for their faithfulness. We bless them for the family that they're building that are, are seeking to follow Jesus. And we, and we just say there's so much more for Johnny. There's so much more. We thank you for the foundations in his life, God, that you are building on, that you would continue to build um, for your kingdom in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Give him a big round of applause, sir. All right, over to Al. So this morning, uh, it's really, really great um, to see you all. Uh, and it's really, really great to have uh, friends with us. Um, Visitors, I was going to say, but friends who um, hopefully are increasingly feeling that this is uh, home, uh, uh, from home, and it's uh, Drew and Mary Caldwell. Um, so I'm going to ask you to give them, before, as I introduce them, a really good porty down. Um, <laughs> round of applause as they come. Come on ahead, Drew and Mary. They are uh, really great friends of ours who we've connected through the wider kind of 24-7 family over the years. Drew and Mary, um, I'll tell you a little bit about themselves in a moment, but the kind of headlines are they're from the States but have been serving in Lebanon um, for the last 11 years. And we've been really uh, got, got quite close to them. They've been staying with Rick and Ruth. We've been in various kind of leadership kind of cohorts together. Mary and I kind of uh, went through like a, a training leadership cohort together online when she was based in Lebanon with a few other guys and um, 
for the last for a couple of years, and then Drew had connected really strong with Rick as well, and we just have an increasing affection in our heart for these guys and for what they carry and for what they're doing. I thought it would be really good maybe to start off with Mira, you telling us how, because of how I talked about Portadown, how you thought it was spelt. Yeah, <laughs> it's Portadown and Craig um, <laughs> <Greg> Seven. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, the sign says Portadown. <laughs> but I really thought it was Portadown. <laughs> So even even writing it with an I in text messages. Yeah, I keep writing it with an I. D-I-N-E. So. D-I-N-E. Um, anyway. So when she actually saw it was spelled on a sign on the road, she was like, oh, it's put it da- down. Yeah, put it okay. down. Um, anyway, it's so good to have you guys with us, uh, both of you. Um, we've also got three girls who are here as well. So make sure you introduce yourselves to them. I'm going to ask a few questions to try and draw out some of uh, Drew and Mary's heart and what they're doing, because I think there's lots of it that's not just really us listening to information, but I would encourage you to open your heart up to the impartation of what even comes through them sharing part of their story, and then I'm going to allow them just to share some things on their heart that they might want to encourage us with here. Is that okay? So um, start off, Drew and Mary, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, as I jump into that, Al, I just want to, first of all, say thank you. We've connected with different people over these last 10 days, and it's just been an incredible experience. And we do feel that sense of home and welcome and hospitality, a constant river of toast and tray bakes just <laughs> flowing our way. Uh, it's, it's been a wonderful experience. So, And we even got to go to Port Stewart for a couple of days. Yes. Thanks to people. So it's and, and, been it, and clearly the weather was historically nice because <laughs> we have not stopped hearing about it. You know, everyone's like, you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> to co- yeah, we're, we might be the first people to leave with an Irish tan. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened before. But uh, yeah, so we're, we feel very blessed, very blessed. We, we hope to come back. Uh, so what we do in Lebanon. So, you know, how we, we, we kind of, this story started with us a long time ago when we were young. Uh, I was on a short-term trip and to Egypt. And I was not interested in missions. I was sort of, when people talked about foreign missions, I tuned out. I know some of you in the room are prepared to do that this morning uh, because I was like that. I was just, you know, that's so out of my, out of my sphere. I can't relate to this at all. And, and beyond that, this is not my gifting. This is somebody else's job. Praise God for them type of thing. But, but definitely didn't feel any personal connection. But uh, kind of when I was in uni, felt the Lord pushing me to, to take a step of obedience, you know, to broaden my horizons, uh, and went to this short, on the shorter trip in Egypt. Uh, obviously, immediately, I got there and had a really different experience with people than what I'd built up in my head about the Middle East. Uh, watching the news, you get, you know, a certain picture. But when I got there, I was, was just connected with people, felt the openness, felt that there were open doors to, to actually relate and to build relationships that I didn't expect I would find. So five days into that trip, you are, we're taking this little excursion up to, this, to the edge of Cairo, and I'm looking out from this high place east of Cairo at, at the whole city beneath me, and it was this 15 million plus people, you know, kind of down in this valley within sight, and as I'm standing there, I was very surprised I began to feel the Holy Spirit, and it was like this rising anticipation so I start having this conversation with God. Why do I feel excited right now? Uh, you know, this should, I, I, w- I would expect to feel burdened, overwhelmed, uh, intimidated, looking out on this city. The, the call to prayer was going off, you know, in thousands of mosques. And I'm looking out, and I just feel this excitement. And I, I start to talk to the Lord about it. And immediately, the Lord gives me this verse from Habakkuk. 
that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as water covers the sea. And Lord, the Lord in that moment gave me this, this like gift of faith to begin to look at all of those intimidating things through the lens of, wow, what's it going to be like when God reveals his glory to this place? What type of miracles are going to happen? What type of breakthrough is that going to require to see the knowledge of God's glory fill this place? And as I stepped back from that vantage, I just felt this whisper saying, do you want to be a part of it? And that changed the course of my life. Something opened up inside of me, this, this fascination and captivation with, with God's kingdom and a sense that the Lord wanted to do something historic in our generation in the Arab world. That started the journey for me uh, and and. Each one, you know, Mary and I each have our own kind of longer journey, and we, we, out of that kind of that experience, began taking short-term trips from our local church that later became a long-term team. But as we launched out, to come back to your question, as we launched out to, uh, to the Middle East, the, the promise that was sown in our heart was that this was a, going to be a historic time of awakening in the, the Middle East, and that we were going to place, we just wanted to be available to serve and to play whatever small part in that beautiful story that we could. So what that looks like for us, uh, the beautiful thing is that God has been faithful to that word. Across the Muslim world, so you know, there's the Arab world, and then the Muslim world's a much bigger category, but across the Muslim world, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus in the, in the last two decades of this century than of all of history combined. Uh, now there's a tipping point where the majority of Muslims who are coming to faith are led to faith by former Muslims. And so what we're actually seeing is something historic in the history of the church. We're seeing a, it's, the church will look different globally 20 years from now because right now there is a whole, there is an a enormous indigenous movement of Muslims coming to faith. And they're coming to faith through miracles, through dreams and visions, uh, through all time, and, and through the witness of faithful believers. So our role in that is we just, we want to be present in the community, engaged in a way where we can see, we can find those that God's calling to himself, and we can support them, equip them, champion them to be the catalyst of discipleship and transformation in their communities. Uh, so we do that in different ways. I'm a teacher, and Mary... Why don't you take I'm a that? nurse. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm a nurse. And so one of the ways it's looked like over the last years is that when the Syrian refugee crisis started happening and the Syrians started flowing into Lebanon, um, they started setting up their refugee camps. And so in Lebanon, unlike other places, there's not a formal refugee camp. They just have to actually kind of rent land from farmers and create their own tents. So um, starting when it started becoming more and more of a crisis, um, I just jumped in my car and started driving in. It's about an hour, hour and a half away from our home in Beirut to the Bekaa Valley. And would drive in my car and go into refugee camps and ask them if they were willing to open up one of their tents, one of their homes, so we could see sick people. And so we would, we would see people. We had medicine that we'd bring in. And then with every person that came to the clinic, we would pray over them. And we're talking, we'd see like anywhere from 65 to like 150 people. So we, were, we had a lot, and I would bring people along with me. I had a team I was working with of different nurses and some doctors, nurse practitioners. And as we prayed for people, here's what was so amazing. Um, Syria had been such a closed nation to the gospel that we are some of the first believers they've ever interacted with. We're some of the first people they've ever 
that are carrying the Holy Spirit, that are like laying hands and praying for them. So as we're laying hands and praying for them, people are getting healed. People are starting to weep, mm. and, and we're listening to some of their pain, and they're starting to kind of give some of the, the pain that they've been walking through. Um, so whenever that would happen in our clinic, we kind of would identify those people as, okay, well, these are the ones we need to do follow-up with. So then we would go to their homes and visit them and then invite them into a process of learning more about Jesus. And for, with Muslims, especially like a, these type of conservative Syrians, we would take them on a process of learning about Jesus. We wouldn't tell them right away. So one of the relationships we met in, the, in this actual setting was we were doing a clinic. It was a really big clinic. And <clears throat> this woman named Nahla uh, was helping us. She was hosting it. She was bringing the tea to everyone. And she was super fascinated as we prayed over people. She was watching it the whole time. She kept coming, and we prayed over her, but she kept watching us. And when we left, she said, I can't believe what you're doing. Like, I've never seen anything like this. The way you're treating people, no one's ever treated us like this. Like, we've never experienced anything like this. Can I, can I learn more about what you're like? So one of, the, one of my teammates started meeting with her weekly and, and inviting her into the story of Scripture and starting story of God, starting with Adam and Eve, going to, to Jesus. And in that process, so even before she gets to Jesus, she starts having dreams. She starts having encounters. God's answering prayer. And we start from the beginning to tell them, share with your family, share with your kids, share with your neighbors. So she's sharing with her neighbors, sharing with her family, and sharing with her close friends. And so this was, this actually, we met her nine years ago. So fast forward nine years, Nahla is incredible. She is leading um, like a multi-generation, meaning there's, she's got core leaders that are all women. So right now it's an all women group, all women movement, but she's got disciples who make disciples and Nahla has a leadership team and they have over like, what, 200? Yeah, they know 200, about 200 women by name in these groups. In these groups that and are... Those, they, but then those women are also reaching to women that they don't know. Yeah, so they have women that are in Lebanon in four or five different areas of Lebanon. They've sent women back into Syria to be Jesus communities in Syria. And um, it's been so amazing to watch Nahla grow. And like I love saying this... Um, it actually feels like Nahla has like an Apostle Paul anointing. Like when she talks about Jesus coming to her people and like the kingdom coming in her people, like she'll just start talking and it, 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 it's, you know, in Arabic, so you guys would understand it, but it feels like something out of the scripture. Like it feels like an Apostle Paul rant about how he can manifest his glory inside of her people. And it's so amazing that this woman who was hopeless and broken and filled with grief is now this apostle to her to her nation and to her people and she's raising up leaders um, and one of the this is a cool just thing too um, there was a dream early on between her and our friend Melanie and it was around widows and so she has taken it as part of her calling to take care of the widows the Syrian refugee widows so like on her own like with her own money which she has none she will take taxis she will drive places to find if she hears of a widow she'll go visit the widow she'll talk with the widow and invite them into this relationship of knowing more about Jesus and so of these women she's got about 80 widows that she takes care of that she's creating sustainable businesses for and it's, it's amazing is is not Could you share that? Could I just, would you mind sharing that? The, with the, the wheat or the dove, which one? You tell it. Yeah. Do you remember the dream? That. Okay, so uh, as kind of early on in this story that Mary's sharing, while she's kind of 
beginning, you know, she's, she's noticed, she's drawn to believers, she's reading the scriptures, but she had not fully become a follower of Jesus yet. You know, she's in this discovery journey. So around that time, her neighbor comes to her. And, and just a few days earlier, Nahla and our, our friend Melanie had read the story about uh, Jesus getting baptized and the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. So Nahla had just read that story. Her neighbor, who wasn't at that lesson, comes in and says, I had a dream about you. And in this dream, uh, you and, your, and your, your foreign friend were in a field of wheat and you were praying. And as you were praying, a, a dove, doves came from heaven and rested on each one of you. But then I saw all the women in the community come to you where you were praying and they all knelt with you in this field of wheat. And all of you were praying and doves were coming around each woman who was praying. Uh, and so as she's sharing the story, Nahla's thinking, this woman has no idea, but I know that that dove is the Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus. And that moment, though, beyond just kind of a confirmation of her journey, it was the Lord speaking to her, what, this, this journey you're on isn't just for you. Mm. Through this journey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the women in your community. And so that was a turning point in her as someone who carried vision, not just for her own healing, but for the healing of her community. Wow. Wow. So a couple of things before I ask the next question. There's so much, so much in this. A couple of things I just want to rehearse again. First of all, that encounter was, you were 20, is that right? Yeah, that's funny. So some of you are 20, some of you are more than 20. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, and you, you just take a step and go on a mission trip or whatever, and God breaks into your life, changes the whole trajectory of it. People that you never thought you would serve, you actually move and go and live there. Just pour your life out for them. It's powerful, isn't it, when you say yes to Jesus? What can happen? Secondly, there are more Muslims coming to Jesus since the start of this millennium than there has been in the course of all of history. Just think about that for a moment. <laughs> that is a remarkable time to be alive. A remarkable time to be alive. And I know we're all living our own little lives and we're all very busy in our own little lives. And, and I'm not like, I, I'm talking to myself here, but you need to hear these stories, don't you, to awaken you out of just your own little kind of thoughts about your own little life. <laughs> as, as, as important as significant it is to realize God is moving across the earth and he's looking people that say yes to Jesus. And, uh, and I feel like I'm saying that because I think he, he wants to do that. He wants to speak to some of us this morning. I know he is, but the Holy, Holy Spirit's here and he's resting and he's speaking and he's opening up our hearts to say yes all over again for the cost of what it is to follow Jesus, to hear that whisper that Drew heard. Do you want to be part of this? Do you want to be part of this? Or do you want to be part of it? That's, that's the question, I think, that the Holy Spirit's whispering as we talk. So tell us, Drew, Mary, what's, what, are you, what are you doing now? What does it look like work in Lebanon? So it's 11 years since you've been in Lebanon, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Two before that in Jordan, isn't that right? Yep. So, well done. Um, <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, um, Andrew just celebrated his 40th birthday so, just about um, two weeks ago, yeah. But Alan's birthday was on, yeah, Alan's birthday was on Saturday. That's right, I forgot about that. I teed you up well there, well done. So tell us, tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now in Lebanon. What does it look like? What's the work look like? Yeah, so, so there's been kind of a dramatic shift for both of us in these last few years. Lebanon's been through the ringer, as we say. You guys say that? Been through the ringer? Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense. Okay. So it's been through a rough time. 
as uh, like the currency collapse, re revolution, COVID, Beirut explosion, uh, a very dramatic time period. So we were in a very hard lockdown where we couldn't, we weren't really allowed to get out, go out of our house except for essentials and all that. And so you know we were we're sitting and at was home. Was the blast before COVID or after? Do so some of you will remember the, on the TV, yeah, the the blast that happened and that was Lebanon, just you know. Yep. Yeah, so that was August 2020, mm -hmm. so about two years ago, and right as things were opening up post-lockdowns. Okay. So I find myself at, at one point in this, sitting in my house, not allowed to leave. In the, the time leading up to the revolution, Lebanon, 2019, we had felt like God had led us into some major transitions in team life and in letting go of kind of the, the team leadership role that we had been in, and but didn't really know what came next. And then the whole country changed dramatically, and then... I'm stuck in my house where both of us are, are, Mary's not able to go do the clinics. I'm not, I'm teaching online, which was a symbolic gesture in many, uh, in most, <laughs> in general. And as a, and, and just feeling the sense of, of what are we doing here? What is, where has God led us to? You know, it felt like we've been following, following just his lead. And now what's, where's this story going? And I personally just felt a bit restless, understatement. And I really needed a fresh word from God, just to, to, to point me <laughs> in some direction. So in that space, I uh, was talking with a friend, and the Lord began to speak to us about something that sounded quite preposterous, being stuck in our houses, but about the, about the Lord wanting to give us faith for, uh, for the saturation of Lebanon, Syria with the gospel, meaning faith to see groups of disciples of Jesus planted in every town, village, and city of, of Lebanon and Syria. And it was obviously a huge promise uh, and something that was bigger than any one of us. But we felt like, you know, we felt like this, almost this return to that place of faith for the impossible. And so we got on Zoom every day because we couldn't do much else. It was a bit of a coping mechanism. But we got on Zoom every day and took time to listen to the Holy Spirit and to pray into that promise. Um, and as we did that, we felt like we felt... Uh, in particular, this promise that God was going to raise up and call forth local shepherds from these unreached communities across Lebanon and Syria. Uh, that obviously, a, it has to be a network, an extended family that pursues this work, not, you know, us and our team, you know, us and our ministry, but that God wanted to call together a network and that some of them, that would kind of primarily be made up of local leaders from unreached Muslim communities that, are, that God's going to call to himself. So we were praying into that. We come out of lockdown, and, and things just shifted uh, in, in, for both of us in different ways. But for me, suddenly, after praying for years for how to have, you know, we had this, God did this beautiful work among women. But I was always kind of like, well, I would like to have a guy who's also interested in this. Uh, worked with a lot of men and young people, but didn't have that same, that men with that same apostolic hunger and vision. So as we come out of lockdown, these guys that I've been praying for for years begin to, to come to me. And one, of the, one story I'll just highlight uh, is my friend Jamal. So Jamal uh, was a fighter in the Syrian army. He, he was forced to fight for the regime. He fought for eight years. They would never let him go. They wouldn't release him from service. And eventually he was just fed up with it, traumatized, tries to desert the army. They recapture him. They, they essentially torture him in an in a pr underground prison for three weeks, say, go back to your post. This time he, he runs and escapes Syria by walking over the, the mountains between Syria and Lebanon. He's sitting around in a refugee camp in Lebanon, wounded, angry, depressed, scrolling through his phone, and, on, and he starts to see ads on Facebook for Jesus. 
And he starts to click on these ads. And, as he, and the way he described it to me was that as he read story after story about Jesus, something inside him began to melt. And he began to think, is it possible that, that Jesus would call me? So he begins to reach out to the people who run these kind of online evangelistic ministries. And one of them is, is connected to the, the, the network that we're, that we're building. And reached out to me and says, hey, this guy lives two miles from your house. He's sitting in a, in a refugee camp, and he, he, wants, he wants someone to help him. So, you know, years of me going after people who aren't interested. And here's a guy, you know, waving a flag around, will someone come disciple me? So we're sitting at this cafe, and he tells me, I, I was stunned, guys, completely stunned. We're sitting at this cafe. He's, his tears in his eyes says, my life has been nothing but pain. But with Jesus, I found beauty in my pain. My pain has a purpose. He says, I see Jesus call Peter and say, I'll make you a fisher of men. And I say, is it possible after all this that my life could be used for something that good? And, and, he, and he's basically looking at me saying, will you help me figure out how to do this? And so since that journey, Jamal's gotten baptized. His wife has gotten baptized. He, he's led relatives back in Syria to, to the Lord over WhatsApp who have joined churches in Syria. He has started in his refugee camp, which is an area that we've prayed for. We could never, we cannot step foot into his refugee camp. It's controlled by Palestinian militant groups. And under their watch, in that place, he's, he's led multiple people to faith, starting groups. Just before I came, he called me up and said, hey, meet me at the sea. I, wanna, uh, I got two guys that want to get baptized. And so just on the fly, we're just, I'm like questioning them. Yeah, they, they really do want to get baptized. So we're, we're baptizing these guys. And after, after it, they're like, you know what? Because they're all Palestinians. You know what? We're, we're actually originally from Galilee. And I'm like, well, this is Jamal's dream, you know, baptizing young men from Galilee, just like, just like Peter and, and, and the, the gang. So just this, this just, yeah, a total shift in a time of upheaval, in a time of, of complete uh, just chaos, seeing God, the activity of God increase and move in ways that we've been praying for for years. That was a crazy moment because we were fasting and praying for baptism for so long, especially for men. Drew came home like a week before we left. I was like, how was your hangout with Jamal? He's like, I just baptized two guys in the sea. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so yeah, it was amazing. Um, so it's shifted for me right after the explosion um, I kind of the first immediate response was to go down and do first aid, pray over people, try and just help in any way I could. And then, um, and then oh, after a little bit, we, I grabbed my kind of closest friend, Lebanese. Uh, she's a Muslim background believer, and we started praying. We started praying and praying. Then we started doing prayer walks, and we were, we were asking God, how can we love and serve this like this really catastrophic, traumatized people after the explosion. So we're walking in the streets and praying and letting the Holy Spirit kind of lead us. And we get led into some homes and just start asking like what happened and people wanted to share and they would cry and we'd pray over them. It was really powerful. And then from that, uh, we, I sent out an email to our like supporters and said, could we, could anyone, would anyone want to give and we could get, we could replace an item that was lost in the explosion. So for the neighborhood we were in is a really poor and kind of a rough neighborhood. And it was Syrians and Lebanese, but they lost everything, like every single thing in their house. Their, you know, their closets, their beds, their tables, their refrigerator, everything was lost. And there were NGOs, everyone was working, but like 
there was a lot that they needed. So, um, so, and then, so I'm doing that. It's incredible. And we, we do it. We're going in, we're praying over them. We're sharing scripture. And then 24 seven at the gathering got this huge gift <laughs> and gave it to us so that I got to expand my team. So I had to invite more people to, to come join me and, and really like mobilize more like, um, young, young people it was Muslim background, young people and kind of train them in how to do missions. So we're going into these houses, we're praying over people and it's some of their first expression of sharing their faith. So I have like a Muhammad and a Zainab on my team sharing their faith with others. It was really powerful. Um, but then from after we, we had met the need, um, I can look and see that, or I start asking them, what's the, what's the need in your community? What do you still think there is? And what was really shocking is that all of them are saying trauma, trauma, which honestly is like so opposite for Arabs to own. They would never say that they're traumatized. But they had just been through so much. So they're telling me, like, we're traumatized. So I ended up getting this team of Lebanese young people um, trained in a really simple trauma Bible study set. It's seven weeks. And we started offering it to anyone who wanted. And the response was really wild because normally... Now, these are, like, they're set in Scripture. They're, they start with Joseph, and then we, talk, we do different stories. And, um, and so... But the people kept coming. And so I told the, my team, okay, I know a lot of people will come the first time, but then they're going to think we're going to give them aid or food. And once they know that we're not giving any more aid or food, they'll probably stop coming. Well, they just kept coming. And then they were, like, signing up. So by the end of the time, we, we put th- about 90 or 100 women through this um, through this trauma healing thing. Some children, we tried with men. <laughs> but um, what was so amazing was to see these really like shell-shocked and like traumatized women start to encounter and get healed. Like it was, it was really powerful. And so I'll tell you the story of one of them. So one of them's name is Fatima and she um, was really quiet and there's really dynamic and loud and fun women. And she was a really, di- she was a very quiet and shut down and it was having a lot of secondary trauma, you know, or PTSD sy- symptoms. She was very, she's having nightmares. She can't sleep. She was angry all the time. She's screaming at her kids. She was hitting her kids and she's telling me all this. And there, we're doing these small, we'd break all the women into groups of six to eight women. So she does the journey with us and she was so gripped when we would tell the stories. When, when, she, when we would do this, when we talk about the stories and we act them out, she was so gripped. Like she would have tears in her eyes when we talk about Jesus and stuff. So then I asked her, hey, and I asked a few of them, would you guys be willing, we have all these other women who want to go through the groups, would you be willing to be leaders with us? So she's not yet a believer, she, but she's really leaning in. So I invite her and a few others to lead the groups with me. So she comes in and starts leading the group with me, but she also wants to continue her journey. So after the trauma healing, we go into a forgiveness set. It's another six weeks. The forgiveness set is like the trauma healing is getting you ready for the forgiveness. So the forgiveness set is, is this journey of forgiveness. And so the first week, we're talking about forgiveness, and she says to the group, there's no way I could forgive someone in my life. Like, okay, I forgive this person, I forgive this person, but there's someone I will never, never forgive. And, and we were like... And so I didn't really know how to respond. So I said, well, forgiveness is a journey, and let's just see where God takes you, you know. So then the next week, she's with us, and she says, um, I think we've done most of the study. And at the end of the study, she says, I have to tell you guys something. She says, um, I, uh, I can't explain what happened, but it was like the Spirit of God came on me. And um, I felt like I could forgive my cousin. And she's like, but let me tell you what my cousin had done. So my cousin, we were best friends, and she was in my, you know, in my wedding. We, were, we grew up together, and then she moved to Damascus. And so after the war had started, a few years into the war, she came back and visited us. And 
um, it was a wonderful visit. It was three weeks. She saw everyone, and then she went back to Damascus. Three weeks after she went back, the government came and bombed all of our homes. I lost my father. I lost 13 relatives. I lost my uncles, and she was a spy. She got paid for that. So I will never forgive her for what she, I thought I would never forgive her. And everyone in my family, and everyone knows in my clan that we were really close, but I would, you know, but I won't talk to her. I won't, you know, like everyone knows. But I reached out to her. She's tried to get a hold of me five different times over the last five years. I've never responded. So I reached out to her because she's still in Damascus. And I told her, you know, you know what happened? You can forget about that. And then she immediately calls me and says, is this Fatima? And Fatima said, yes. She says, are you saying you forgive me? And Fatima says, yes. And then Fatima says, it's not because of something you've done, and it's not because of something you've asked, but it's because God's doing a work in me. It's not because you deserve it, because I want some freedom in my heart. And this woman starts sobbing and says, I don't understand. I don't understand. You don't understand how much I regret what I've done. I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And can you tell me more about what you're learning and what you're experiencing? So, so Fatima tells the group this. And it was like the Holy Spirit just fell on the group. And this woman says, I need to forgive my husband. And this woman says, I need to forgive my mother-in-law. And all of them start saying who they need to forgive. And it was such a powerful miracle of forgiveness and th- so, so Fatima is walking in this um, new freedom in Jesus. And in, so since then, she has kind of become this, she's, she reminds me the most of Nahla, of women I've worked with. Everyone in the community knows her. She, she used to be this kind of shy, shut down, traumatized woman. Now ev- she leads a lot of groups. Women come to her house. She looks for new relationships. She was at a hospital and um, saw a woman crying in the corner. She's a Syrian refugee. The woman was a Lebanese woman. She went over and said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And the woman just told her everything. She said, can I pray over you? She prayed over the woman. The woman said, can I come visit you? So she came to Fatima's house, and Fatima fed her. So, like, for a Syrian to, like, minister to a Lebanese woman was super powerful. And she has, it's like every week when I'm with her, she's another testimony of God answering her prayer of her sharing stories of Jesus with other people, and really like the healing that's happening in her life. So it's been amazing. Amazing. Wow. <clears throat> so. Oh, one small thing with that. Sorry. As we've been thinking of these women and, and kind of their needs, one of the things was trying to get them into that journey of... Um, healing was doing sustainable businesses. So there are a few items in the back. Oh, and my daughter is back there. This is Layla. Layla was also coming alongside and helping me in all my trauma healing stuff, and that's been amazing. So she's in the back selling some of the art that the, or the, the crochet that the women have done, and it's, it's actually trauma-informed. So they're choosing the colors kind of depending on what they're feeling. So it's really fun, and we've got Lebanese that are training them and doing all that. So if you, can, if you want to buy anything, that would be awesome to support them. And, uh, and I think we can do a card machine yeah. also. We have cash and card machine. Well, um, I would love us to pray for you. We'll maybe get some of the prayer ministry um, team to pray for you and pray for you going forward. But I'd love just to leave time as we kind of come towards an end of you guys just encouraging us a little bit. If there's something on your heart that you sense um, before we maybe pray and respond to whatever God's doing and saying. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I just have been so, so encouraged just being around you know, you're all community, the community in Lurgan, the, the broader family, and, and seeing just, the, just the, the, the deep root system that you guys have in the community and in relationship with each other and the growth that's there. 
Uh, and there's something I, I felt the, the night I arrived in Northern Ireland, uh, I came to a prayer meeting here in this room. And when I walked in, I, the Lord immediately brought to mind uh, the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Don't worry, this is going in a good direction, okay? Uh, but but the, story, so the story of the Gerasene demoniac, just to, the, the reason I think it stood out is, you know, this is like a story of Jesus' botched mission trip. You know, they're, they're, they're you know, on the sea, there's a storm, the disciples panic. You know, Jesus has to, to calm the storm, uh, primarily to calm their anxiety. They arrive at the, at the, on the shore, and, the, you know, as if you landed in the new country at the airport, and the first person to greet them is this demoniac. Uh, so Jesus casts the demon out, but then the demons go into the pigs, the local farmers get mad, and they have to leave immediately. So if you had supported that mission trip, you probably would have been a little bit disappointed at the results. Yeah, We spent 15 minutes in the country and had to, had to run. But the... Uh, but as they're leaving the area, the demoniac says, wow, you got, you got something good going here. Take me with you. And the demoniac says, no, go back to your people. Go back to your community and tell them everything God has done for you. And then later, they return to that area. And when they arrive at the shore, people are bringing the sick to them. And the entire atmosphere of the community was changed through the transformation of a single person. And I just felt this story come to mind for your community and all the, the I mean, when you think about it, this room and the stories of what God's done in your lives and the places you go in a week and the rooms that you're in and the people you cross paths with, I just felt this sense that God wanted to, that there, there already is a grace for you all to, to bring healing and transformation to the one, to that garrison demoniac. And then, but that, that person is the key of, to transformation to the many that stand behind them. And there's something, I just felt there's something in that for you all and to encourage you uh, that you carry that, that transforming power into these interactions. And, and to take it one step further, some of you might be the former garrisoned demoniac. Mm. And there might be, and I felt a sense that some of you, God's called you out of a place, a family system, a social environment, uh, and, has, and you've experienced transformation in Jesus. Um, and there might be a sense where God's saying, go and tell them everything that's happened, in, you know, that, everything God's done for you. And, and, and that there's a sense where you might have done that before, and it, and it didn't go so well. Uh, but it, a word that keeps coming up for me during, since kind of all the, the I mean, post-COVID, post all the things happening in our world, we are, our world is different than it once was. People are different. People, the, the foundations of stability have been shaken. And I had this sense of the, the story where Jesus tells Peter, put your nets down on the other side. And Peter says, we caught, we fished all night and we caught nothing. But if you say so, We'll try again. And a sense of a, a, a renewal of faith for the things we've tried before that didn't work, uh, that this might be the moment to put our nets back in and to see a different result because of what God is doing anew in people. So I was feeling some of that encouragement for you all. Um, and I, so I would say something I've feeling like just since worship is just to release like faith and maybe impartation around forgiveness. Like I feel like there's some real forgiveness miracles that some of you need or that you are in your close family. And so I, I just want to release the power of transformation and, mm. and that act. And I know that it's a journey, but that it's actually not that anyone deserves it. No one deserves it, but it's actually a work the Holy Spirit does in our hearts to forgive and, and even people that you're working with. But 
Um, I agree with Drew. I feel like it's been so powerful to be around you guys and see everyone's heart for mission and heart for their neighbor and all the different ways you guys serve the community and serve one another. And I would exhort you guys to take more kingdom risks, to actually look around and say, where are some places, where are some neighborhoods, where are some, some homes or you know, people groups that um, no one's interacting with? And what is the Holy Spirit already doing there? Because that's our story. We get to go to Lebanon the Holy Spirit's already moving. He is doing dreams and visions. Mm -hmm. he's, he's showing up. And then we get to come and be kind of the answer to their intercession. If their intercession is, God, where are you? Send someone to tell me about you. And then we get to be the answer to that. So, so my exhortation is to take more kingdom risks and to ask, yeah, ask the Holy Spirit, okay, show me where you're moving and where I can go and bring your presence. Amazing. Okay. I want us to continue to pray for Drew and Mary going forward. God's opening up all sorts of doors to work with leaders in Lebanon. Um, uh, they have a, a network called Saturate that's developing and growing, and lots of uh, indigenous leaders being raised up. And so I just want you to really keep them in your heart. Mary obviously has a massive heart for a lot of humanitarian stuff, which front ends with prayer and the signs of the kingdom. Um, you're doing a master's, not right? And yes. what's it called again? I'm doing a master's in disaster and humanitarian leadership. Yeah. So you put all the learning from that alongside, you know, the frame that obviously Mary and we operate out of, which is the kingdom advancing. And you think about the wonderful lives that can be broken lives that can be wonderfully changed and transformed. So I want us to keep that in mind. But what I'd love us to do this morning as we finish, I'm going to ask um, Johnny, maybe if we could just put on some music for a moment. And um, I feel like there is a sense of response this morning. We're not going to take too long to do this. But uh, I feel like um, God's really moving. The Holy Spirit's here. And uh, I think we need to be bold to respond to what he's doing. So I'm going to ask you, would you stand quietly just for a moment? I'm going to ask Drew and Mary to pray over us in a moment. But... Um, I guess there's, there's, two, there's two things that I feel like, um, there's, there's lots, just when the Holy Spirit's just moving like he is in the stories of what we hear today, there's, there's just a gut sense that whatever that is, I want it. And so I think there's a, there's a response to that, but particularly feel around just that sense of going, of feeling like, God, I want to say yes again to, to going, to you breaking my heart for what breaks yours. I feel like there's some people just really need to respond to that. And then what Mary, and tied into both what Mary and um, Drew shared at the end about, you know, going even to our own communities and the forgiveness thing. I just feel like some of us need to respond to that. So um, that's just why don't we close our eyes for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit just to move upon us for a moment. But I'm going to ask you to be really bold. Our prayer ministry team's here. I'm actually going to ask you if you feel like you would like prayer to this morning for this. You need to respond. I want to ask you to be bold and actually come out. Would you come up? Would you come up to the front if you just feel that God's really speaking to you this morning? And I'm going to ask Drew and Mary to pray over you and, and all of us this morning. So that's um let's just take a moment, allow the Holy Spirit, and when you're ready, let's just start coming to the front. Whoever feels that God's really speaking to them this morning.